Zot the Mishnah, we're learning Daf Chof Dalit from the Mishnah about six, seven lines down. Which brother should do even? If you have multiple brothers, which brother does even? Says the Mishnah, Mitzvah Ba'galu Yavim. Lechatchila, ideally, the Mitzvah is on the oldest surviving brother. Not necessarily if he's the firstborn, the Mishnah says, the oldest brother, whoever's the oldest. It's Lechatchila, he's the one to do it. It doesn't mean he's the only one who could do it. If, let's say, a younger brother went ahead, he went ahead first, right? And he did the mitzvah, he did the bia. So done. He's, he's done the mitzvah, it's his wife, and everything is fulfilled. So it's a preference that we have for the eldest brother, but if the younger brother goes ahead, the mitzvah is done. So the Gemara now elaborates where the source for this is. So we look at a pasuk, and it's a strange idea, but if you do the mikra, is yotzi midei pshuto here. The simple interpretation of the pasuk is not the correct one. If you look at the side of the Gemara, baby beige, you'll see it. It says, asher It will be the firstborn, which is, which who will be born? The, 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 I would say the bachar, the elder, the most, the first one that will be born. Yakum alshim achiv hames. He will, yakum, he will establish, he will continue the legacy of the dead brother. And his name will not be wiped out. So what's the Pashup Shad in the Pasuk? The Pashup Shad in the Pasuk is, hopefully from the Yibam there's going to be a kid. And the kid who will be born will continue the legacy of the dead brother. That's the Pashup Shad in the Pasuk. But comes along the Gemara, and the Gemara dashes that is not the right Shad. Tanarab Bonan says in a bride, of Bachar will be the firstborn. It's actually not talking about a child born from Yibam. It's talking about the brother. And it will be that the firstborn, the firstborn is the one to do the Yibam. The oldest brother. Asher delayed that she can give birth. This tells us, now we're really like going with the drush, it's not talking about a kid being born, it's talking about the, the Yavim and the Yavama and their capability to make children. And it's saying that if the, if the girl's an islandess, so she can't make a child, so then there's no mitzvah of Yibam. And we saw that therefore there's, she, she's also Asher, that Yishu Sachas not become Hotar for her. They will succeed the name of the dead brother. What's that talking about? It's not talking about any child. It's talking about the brother doing Yibam. So what does it mean? It's saying that the Yavam is the one who gets all the inheritance. Really interesting halacha. Normally, it's inherited split by all the father's family. We go directly to the father, whatever it is, all the brothers split. Here there's a din that whoever does Yibam gets all the estate of the deceased brother. It's a reference to Lenachla. So the Gemara says, You're saying it's referring to the inheritance. Meaning that what? That the Yavim is inheriting his dead brother. He's taking all of his estate. Maybe he's talking about this simple shot in the Pasuk that the firstborn son who's going to come to the Yavim, the Yavama, should get the same name as the person who passed away. Right? So he should be named after his dad. Right? That's what the Pasuk is saying. Yosef, if his name was Yosef, we should call him Yosef. And this is the closest we get in any Gemara and Shas. This is the closest we get to the importance of naming after somebody. That, that this is a havamina, that that's what maybe the Pasuk means, Yaakov HaShem that he should be named for his father. But that's not the correct shot here. How do we know it means Lenachla? And it means that that's what the Gemara is asking. You're saying it means that the Yavim should take over the estate. When he does Yibo, maybe not. Maybe it's not saying he inherits, he inherits the brother, but rather it's saying that the kid who's born should be named after the deceased. So the Gemara says, but Nemar, Kan Yaakov HaShem Here it says that, that phrase. In the parish of um, in the parish here at the end of his life, Yaakov telling Yosef that he's saying that any sons born to Yosef are going to be with, together with Ephraim and Menashe and get the portions in Eretz Yisrael. So we're talking about inheritance in that context. Just over there, shame is referring to inheritance. Hashem someone inherited, and it's not saying that we name the kid after the dad. In Kazedin, there is no such halacha pashtun. Or rather, what all it's saying is that it's all about the inheritance. So we're saying that the, the Yavim is now considered, um, the Yavim is now considered to be the sole heir 
to the deceased. That's what the Pasuk is saying, and it's not referencing at all any future son who will be born. And his name will not be wiped out. What does that mean? It excludes us. His name is automatically excluded, uh, like wiped out. So what does this mean? This means a Saris is someone who cannot have children, right? You're born, you're born with a defect. You're not maturing regularly in a way that you're going to be able to have children. So what's the halacha? It's marriage. is a marriage, right? A Saris could be married. But when he dies childless, there's no din to do even. What's the child? What do you mean? I can make him a, I can make him a child, right? Isn't that beautiful? No. It's, his name is already automatically blotted out. In other words, his marriage is not a marriage that ever could have brought to children. So when he dies, there's no din to take it over. And here is where we get to the confusion. The few confusing concept in Yubam, which struggles, which everybody struggles with, is is the point to have children or is the point not to have children? And I said, what are we left with? We're left with, we don't know. Because on the one hand, what do we see in the Gemara? that all the psukim, which you would think would be talking about a child being born, are actually not talking about a child being born. They're all talking about the yavim taking over the brother. The psukim never speaks about a child being born. We exclude people who are incapable of having children. We excluded the islanders from doing yibam, and we excluded the saris from needing yibam to his marriage because his name is automatically wiped out. So... Is it the point to take over the marriage or is it the point to give him a kid because he didn't have a kid? Like, which, which one is it? Am I taking over the Ichus or am I trying to bring a kid? And that's a little bit of a complexity. We, we, a little bit, there's Rishonim discussed this as well in Davchav, where the issue is discussed, when is a mitzvah fulfilled? The Torah says, Yuvama, Yuvama, you should do Bia. So Tosus seemed to say in Davchav that the, the mitzvah of Yivam is fulfilled with Harav, with the tiniest little penetration in a Bia, already the mitzvah is fulfilled as a Bia. Other Rishonim perhaps say, well, wait a second, isn't the mitzvah to have kids? So maybe it should only be Bigmar Bia when the effect is able to, to be there for. For, for, for the girl to become pregnant. So this is already the back and forth on such a thing. Interesting. Shiloh's back and forth on this, on this Indian. But Al-Kopanim, what we're saying is that the Pasuk is not talking about a kid being born. It's not saying he should be named after his father. Yaakov HaShem means that the brother took it over. He, he gets all the inheritance. So the Gemara now says an amazing comment. We have a concept. Even when we make a drasha normally throughout the Torah, but a verse never leaves the simple meaning. Meaning there's always the simple interpretation. And on top of that, there's a layer of drash. But in this, in this context, where we just said, where it's saying that it does not mean you name the son after the father. The Torah is not talking about the son, but rather talking about the brother inheriting his brother when he does Yibam. The Torah is completely, I picked him a partial guy take it away from the plain meaning. And what we're saying is, there is no such din that we name the son after the deceased. So, the, the Shaila is, you know, it's like an interesting thing. They're showing him already, I'm definitely talking about, how do we know? Maybe he's talking both in him. Maybe he's both in him. Maybe if the son is born, he should be named for his father. And the Torah is also saying, Yaakov Hashim Achliv, from the Drash, that uh, the brother takes it over. Meaning, what's Takim Shad? Normally, so there's a concept of the simple meaning, and there's a concept of the Drash. Here, for some reason, it's a bit of a mystery. We like are adamant that the Torah is not at all, even in the, in the, in the idea of Pshat, the Torah is not talking about a future son, and there is no meaning to naming him after his father. So remember, I was telling you about this might be the only Gemara in Shas which references naming after a dead, right? And here the Gemara is saying, but no, that's not the correct meaning. It's not even the level Pshat correct. That you should, there should be a son who's going to be named after the father. Nothing. It does not exist in the level of Torah. Not Pshat, not Trash. Interesting comment that Rava makes. Says the Gemara, but why do you even need Xerushava? It sounds like without the Xerushava, if shame, shame, you would have said it means that the kid who's born should be named after his father. Frek the Gemara, if you love Xerushava, have a minute shame, shame, mamish. I really would have thought that. The Gemara is like incredulously asking, like, 
I need the Xer Shava to, to steer, away, steer me away from that shot. I really would have thought you would name the son after the father. But according to that interpretation, who's Hashem talking to? Who has that sea void to name the child after the deceased? Like Yavam, if Hashem's talking to the Yavam, Yakam Hashem, the language of the Pasuk would be different. It would say the firstborn should succeed the name of your brother, because the directive would be towards the Yavam. So it's your brother. And if Hashem is speaking to the court, like supervising the whole matziv, that the, the basin should be careful to make sure that they should enforce the halacha, that the son born should be named after the father. It should have said the firstborn should succeed the name of his father's brother. Because who is the kid? The kid is going to be... It's going to, really going to be, I mean, it's confusing a little bit. It's going to be his, it's the same, it's going to be the wife of the person who's taking over the Ishas, but his father's going to be the Yavim, not the deceased. So it's sort of said, his father's brother is who he's going to be named after. He's not named after his father. He's named after his father's brother. That's the correct thing. So therefore, there's no way that the grammar would have worked. Even without the Xer Shava, I would have known that's not the right meaning in the Pasuk, and I would have come on my own to realize that it doesn't mean that. It really means that the brother is taking over the estate of the Deceased. So why do I need the Xer Shavah? So the Gemara says, no. Maybe this is what Hashem is really talking to the court and it's saying, go tell the Yavim the following instruction. Tell the Yavim that the child should be born after his brother. So Hashem is telling the, the basin from their perspective, it's not their brother. You should go tell the Yavim name after, name after the deceased. That's what I would have said. However, comes along with Shava. Without the Xer Shava, he would have said that, but the Xer Shava takes it out of the simple meaning completely, and it's saying that actually it means all for Nachla. All right, now we get back to the Indian. Who, which brother does Yibam? So the Mishnah said that the oldest brother does Yibam. So frankly, you're saying that the Pasuk is talking about the eldest brother of the deceased, right? We're not talking about the son of the Yibam. means the eldest brother of the deceased should do Yibam. Maybe... It's not only a hider, it's not only ideal that it should be that way. Maybe that's the whole din. Only the oldest brother can do Yibam, and no other brother is capable of doing Yibam. Right? The Mishnah didn't say it that way. The Mishnah said, maybe the Gala should do it, but of course the mitzvah can be done through anybody. Maybe not. Maybe the din of Ahayavachar is saying that only the oldest brother can do it, no one else is capable. Says the Gemara, remember the din of if a brother was born after the death of the deceased, he doesn't do Yibam. Of course he doesn't do Yibam, he's not the oldest brother. Pretty gishmak, right? Pretty pasha. In other words, he's not he's not a shame bachar. So if he's not a shame bachar, if only a bachar would be qualified, automatically he's not a bachar. Now let me just clarify one thing. He could be the oldest of the surviving brothers, but he's not a bachar. But the point what the Gemara is holding right now is that ima bachar dafka, like together, like maybe the whole din is that there's only Yibum when the brother who's remaining is the bachar, the firstborn of the family. So frankly, Gemara, that definitely is not true if he's born after the deceased. He's not going to be the firstborn shame of the family. Is that addressed? Okay. Maybe it's a bachar from his mother, meaning Alsa's mother's side is his firstborn of the mother. It's the firstborn of the mother. So but she has a shame bachar. But Lamaisa, he's a younger brother, meets out his father's side. So maybe that I would have said does Yibam. I would have said he has a shame bachar, and he's a surviving brother of the deceased paternally. So I would have said he would do Yibam, but the Mar is saying since he was born after the death of the deceased, he says Shachshu Ba'alama. So I said, Gemara, there's no tzad to say that because the mother's side is never a variable when we're talking about Yibam. Ahulu Matzah you can't say that. When we say Bachar, Avada we mean Bachar Mitzada Av because the Torah is Tala Yibam in Nachla. Nachla Mina Av, Lomina Av, Nachla is always dependent on the father, not the mother. 
So if Yibam is linked to the inheritance, and the Pasuk is saying that if a Bachar is the one who does Yibam, and that means only literally only a Bachar, then it must mean the Shem Bachar, like a Bachar Lanachla, which is always a Bachar paternally, not a Bachar on a mother's side. A Bachar on a mother's side makes no difference in the world of Nachla. So, so too, it wouldn't make a difference in the world of Yibam. So if Ahayah Bachar would be a literal din, that only the Bachar can do Yibam, then you would never have need, needed a Miyat for Eishis Achav Sheolo Lama, and the Gemara concedes that point. Okay, so now that we clear that off, right, the Gemara, so we can see that it definitely doesn't mean only a Bachar can do Yibam. It must mean, I guess, Lachatchila, Bachar should do Yibam, but otherwise, even a regular brother could. For the Gemara, maybe I'll interpret it still somewhat literally. Maybe I'll say that if there's a Bachar in the family, then Yibam is supposed to be done by any one of the brothers. But if there's no Bachar in the family, then Yibam is not supposed to be fulfilled at all. So in other words, what the Gemara is saying is like this. We can see, we know from Eishu Lachash Rabbalama that, that theoretically even a non-Bachar can do Yibam. But maybe the Torah is saying, Bahaya Bachar is, if there is a presence of a Bachar, then there is Yibam. Who could do Yibam? Any brother. But if there is no presence of a Bachar, then there's no Matziv of Yibam. Which is a very interesting Havamina, because there's no Sfar to that, right? If you need a Bachar, then only the Bachar should do Yibam. And if we have a proof from Eishu Lachash Rabbalama that even a non-Bachar can do Yibam, why would I say that's only if there is a Bachar at least that, is, that survived? So, but the Pashas is not as far, it's just a din. We're looking at the Pasuk, we're saying, Vahaya Bachar, Vahaya Bachar. So maybe there's a din, Vahaya Bachar, that only in the Matzah, where there, there is a surviving firstborn, that then there's a, there, there, Yibam should be done. Who is capable of doing Yibam in that case? We concede even in Abachar, but maybe you need a Bachar in the family. So the Mar says, Amar the Lamdimanataina, the Lamdimanataina. We learn in Dafiyot that when one brother do, does it, there's one opinion that he does it, Pishlichos of all the brothers. Right? We learned that, that there's such a Yisoy, that it's not done only by the brothers, done bishlichos. So maybe that's the Pshan, the Gemara. If there's a Bukhar, so then any brother who does it, Akhopanim, it's a Kim from a family with a Bukhar. It's a Kim of Ayyah Bukhar through the din of Shlichos. But if there's no Bukhar, there's no Kim of Ayyah Bukhar. It says like the whether or not it's such a Pshan is true. I don't know. I'd prefer saying it's just like a din. The Gemara is saying, that it's only when there's a Matzav of a Bukhar. Says the Gemara, Amar Kro meets Achad Mehem. The Torah says, if one of them dies, right? It says, when brothers live together and one of them dies. So who died? The Torah says, it's pretty powerful, right? Milo Askin and Demis Bukhar. Even with a Bukhar, the Torah says unequivocally, if one brother dies, if any brother dies, right? The Torah says, meets Achad Mehem. What is Achad Mehem? One of them. The implication is, even the oldest one. Says the Gemara, no, the Ema Demis Katan, maybe we'll say the Pazar is only talking about what the younger brother died from Rachman Ali Avon Bachar and the Bachar should do Yibam. Says the Gemara, again, we can't say that. So if the Pasuk is saying only when the, other, when, only when the younger brother dies, there wouldn't be a point in excluding the Ishaq So it has to mean that even when the Bachar dies, so now it must be that, um, and now that's what the Pasuk is saying, that we're saying that even though the younger brother does Yibam, but not if he was a Loha Yibam Lama. So Pekitzer, what do we see? We see that the mitzvah applies even where there's no living Bukhar. So we're putting together the Lashon, Umeis Achad Mehem, together with the fact that the Torah is Mamayit Eishis Achad Shabbat and together we're arriving at the point that even where there's no presence of a Bukhar anymore, Yibam is still done. Frakti Kamar, okay, we could accept that. We accept the proof that Yibam is done even without a Bukhar in the family. But Frakti Kamar, Bukhar, when there's no Bukhar, so we concede. There is going to be Yibam when there's no Bukhar. But maybe when there's no Bukhar, it doesn't make a difference who's going to do it. Kadam Katan Zacha, the Allah, we said if the younger brother goes ahead and does the mitzvah, he did it. But if there is a Bukhar, Kadam Zacha, then maybe the younger brother can't do it. Meaning, what did the Mishnah say? The Mishnah said, no matter what, it's a preference for the oldest brother. And if, if the younger brother did it, it's good. Maybe not. Maybe the way it goes is if there is an oldest brother, only he is capable of doing the mitzvah. And if there's no oldest brother, then anybody is. How do we know to put it together that even when there is an oldest brother, but the evidence of another brother does it, it works? 
So Amar Krak, Yeshu Achim Yachtov, when all the brothers live together, the Torah compares them all to one another. The Torah compares the dwelling of all the brothers to one another. They're all equally fit for Yibam. So that tells us everybody's equally fit. I Vahaya Bachar is saying the Bachar should do it. The Torah says, Vahaya Bachar is the Chachli Lab, but the Abed, Yeshu Achim Yachtov, all the brothers are capable. Okay. So the Gemara probes further. If there's a living Bukhar, then it's a preference that the, the, the eldest brother of the Bukhar should do it. It's a preference for the eldest brother, but the Yavid, if anyone can do it. When there's no Bukhar, then maybe there's no preference for anyone. Then it's just all equal. We wouldn't necessarily go to the oldest surviving brother. We know from a Baik Shisha and a Bright not that way. It's always the preferences for whoever the oldest brother is. If he doesn't want to go to a young brother, we go back to the eldest brother and we get him to do chalitza. So the point that the Gemara is addressing now is a new point. The Pasuk says, So maybe it's a preference for Bachar. So it goes Bachar or anybody. How do we know that if it's not Bachar, there's, pre- there's a preference to a Godel? So meaning, let's say it's not the, the oldest first, for, firstborn in the family. Let's say the firstborn died already. But what do I have? I have someone who's uh, older than uh, somebody else. I have two brothers. One's 35, one's 34. How do I know that there's su- such a din that L'Chathilo, the, th- the 35-year-old, should do Yibam? Mechatesi. Just because the Torah said, V'haya Bachar, that's a din in Bachar. So maybe the preference is only for a Bachar to do Yibam. But if there's no Bachar, so maybe everybody's equal. But we see in this price, so from Abayi Kshisha, that what? There's a preference for a Gadol as well, for the oldest person in the family. Where do we see that from V'haya Bachar? So the Gemara answer is Kibachar. The oldest brother is like the Bachar. Ma'bachar, Bachar, Rasul, Garmal, just as by Bachar, the being of a Bachar causes him to have that he's Lachatrila. The oldest gives him that stature. Fascinating idea that once there's a, anyone can do Yibam, what is the preference of Bachar? The preference of Bachar must just mean that he is the oldest. That's the way we touch it off. So it comes out of Meridik Alamdas, that the Gemara is confident. If you would say only the Bachar is doing it, okay, it would only have been Din Bachar. It's a Din of the Bachar. But now that we say anyone can do it, it's just a preference to have a Bachar. What's the assertion of the preference of the Bachar? It's also the fact that he's the oldest. It's not the fact that he's a Bachar. All right? Interesting stuff. Says the Gemara, then he takes the Nachla. Because that's the Torah. The Vahaya Bachar, when the Bachar does it, then he takes the Nachla. But if a regular brother does Yibam, maybe he doesn't get the Nachla. Meaning, maybe the Nachla only goes to a Bachar who does Yibam. But when a non Bachar does Yibam, there's no Nachla. If the Torah says Yakim Hashim Achav the Nachla, it's dependent. Did you take over your brother? You get the you get the Nachla. We don't connect Vahaya Bachar Yakim Hashim Achav. It's two dinim. Vahaya Bachar the Chachil to Yibam. Yakim Hashim Achav means automatically if you do Yibam, you take over your brother's estate as well. Okay. So now what comes out? Bikitzer, what what comes out? That Bachar is Lavdafka. Bachar is a way of saying the oldest brother. Had the Torah said Vahaya Agado, every single din would have been the same. Because if, he's, if the Bechar is around, he's the oldest brother. And if he's not around, he goes to the next, the oldest brother. So Bikitzer, why did the Torah write the shame Bechar? The Torah should have said, V'haya Agadah. So tomorrow, Allah Bechar, Dekai Rechmana, Lamai Elchaz, Atap Alamad Beis. Why did the Torah use the word Bechar? Why not just say, V'haya Agadah? So it actually comes to detract from the Yavim's rights. The Torah is saying that even though you take over the estate, you only take it over in the laws of a Bachar. Ma Bachar, you know what the Torah is you only take the double portion from the father's, um, from the father's estate, from what was already possessed by the father, meaning it's something that the father owned, liquid. But let's say, I don't know if liquid is the right term, but the point is, let's say somebody owed the father money. You don't have a right to a double portion from that when the person pays back after the father's death. You don't have that. You only have a right to a double portion of Bukhar from what the father was holding, not from what he was owed. So too, Avhai, so to the Yavim, 
who's in place of the deceased, he's going to get an extra portion in his father's estate, meaning we're making another halacha here. Listen, Rabbi Yisai. Not only do I take my brother's estate, since I take his brother's estate, so if, my fa- if the father dies now, he's going to get a double portion, his own portion and the portion of his father. But he only takes that double portion, the extra portion, in terms of what his father was holding. But when in terms of what was owed to the father, there's no din that he gets, and another brother, but also he doesn't get the double portion. Okay, so we get to the Torah, calling him a Bukhar just to detract and what it means he took over the brother's estate and now get a double portion from the father. So what comes out? Quick summary. What comes out, Rabbi Yisai? Who should do Yibum? Oldest brother. is Lechatrila. And if not, then we, anyone Lama Yisai is capable. Okay? That's what we see. Geshmak. Zakti Mishnah Vaiter. Total tangent here. Total tangent. Why is this even coming up? Maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll see a connection to Yibam. What, what exactly is the next connection to the Sukkah? There are rumors that somebody had a relationship with a slave woman, which is forbidden. And then the slave woman is freed. Oh, Allah's government, or that he was, right? He was having an affair with a, with a non Jewish girl. Again, nothing to do with a married man. He is married. He's not married. The point is, he shouldn't be sleeping. He shouldn't be having a relationship with a non Jewish girl. That's the rumors in town. Then his guy, and then that non Jewish girl converts to Judaism. So, what's the halacha? At this point, you would say, okay, go for it. For sure, it's permitted. There's a din with Rabbanon that he shouldn't marry her. Why? Because if I marry her, then that's going to give now more support to the rumors that were circulating that before she had converted, he was already in a relationship with her, right? And other people are going to say, ah, you know why they're getting married now? Because they knew each other for years. That rumor that we've been hearing was true. This is just going to confirm what was already suspected. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? It's an interesting thing that a person should not be a target of a bad rumor. There's a din to protect yourself from having bad rumors. That's the halach. So a person, she's therefore a din, you're not, the Rabbanon, even after she converts, he's not supposed to marry her. Vim Khanas, let's say he does marry, he doesn't listen. In what's him, we don't require him to divorce because, again, at this point, she's definitely legally married. There's no reason why he's forbidden to her. It's just a din of protecting the rumor. Says the Mishnah, let's say there are rumors that he slept with a married woman. So this is a little bit more complicated because if he slept with a married woman, what's the halacha? So the Torah says that if a woman, married woman is mezana, she becomes Asr on her husband and she becomes Asr on the adulterer. She becomes Asr on the boel. Right, the Torah says Toma three times in the Taparsha of Sota, Achalabal, Achalabal, Achalatruma. So she's for Asr onto the Boel. So if there are rumors that are circulating that she's having uh, you know, this, this, this affair while she's married, then she's Taka Asr on the Boel. So here in this case, so the court required the husband to divorce her because of the rumors. So now what happened? Afopisha Kanas. If now he shouldn't marry her, why shouldn't he marry her? Because the, the, this is the rumor that he's the Boel. So he shouldn't marry her. And if he does marry her, Yotzi, he has to divorce her. Why? Because he's, she's Asr to him. She lost with him. It's not stop a bad rumor, you know, protect yourself. It's more than that. There's a din that if she was Taka Mizana, then she's also on the boat. So here, Basin took her away, and now she's married to the boat. Basin would get involved, and they would force the boat to divorce this woman. All right, so we start with the opening din. The opening din was the woman who was, the rumor was circulating that she was non-Jewish and being mezana with a certain man. She converts, and now we say, the chathile shouldn't marry her. So the Gemara says, it sounds like she's definitely a legitimate convert, right? The Mishnah is saying, you shouldn't marry him, confirm the rumor, but she definitely is a legitimate convert. So the Gemara says, Raminu, a man converts to Judaism because he wants to marry a certain woman. 
She has a Jewish woman he really wants to marry, right? You ever hear of such a case? Or a woman who converts for the sake of marrying a man. Somebody converts because they want the support from the king. What is that? Interesting idea. For the sake of, you know, was that the Jewish king is, is, uh, is giving, out, giving out a lot of money, right? You get better, better programs if you're Jewish or something. So somebody wants to convert for that government program. Or to join the slaves of Shlomo. They're very powerful. Remember, we learned back about them and after Zion. So anyways, for all these things, someone who converts because he's scared of the lions attacking them. Someone has a dream, he's scared, he converts. What does the Pasuk say in Why? Why did everybody convert? They were afraid. All these cases, they're not legitimate converts. Why? Because they're motivated by different reasons. It's not a good altruistic thing. You know, I want to join the Jewish people. They don't want to become Jewish. It's just they want whatever it is that they want. Ouchies, Kairos, want to say that you can only convert today in our times. Only today. There was never a time in Jewish history when you could convert. So I says, that it means times like our times, meaning in our times, there's no ulterior motive to become a Jew, right? The Jews are suffering. The Jews are in Gullahs. The Jews are in exile. Today, if you become a Gar, you really mean it. So Gemara is saying, like our times, then you could. So kids are, what do I see? I see that if a woman is converting for the sake of a man, it's not, a, it's not good. So in our case, it seems that's what's going on, right? We're, we're, con- we're, con- we're concerned that this rumor is true, that she was, that, uh, she was being, she had a relationship with this, with this guy. And now she... She converts and she wants to marry him. It sounds like we're saying he shouldn't marry her, but Lamai said the marriage is valid, right? We saw the conversion. It seems like it's conversion. Why? She's converting into the sake of marrying him. So the Gemara answers, you're right that this opinion holds it wouldn't be a good conversion, but Itmar Allah was said about the bride, so Allah is not like this opinion. There's a time who's We ask him that it is a good conversion. Um, this is only Ramachemba, but we Lamaisa Paskin that uh, it is good. It is a good garris, even if you're motivated by something else. All right? It's a good garris, even if you're motivated by something else. If she's a good convert, why doesn't he marry her in the first place? Why was the Mishnah saying she shouldn't get married? So now we're realizing that the conversion is good. Even if she converted only Aldas to marry him, still a good conversion. So why is it the Lachatchila, the Mishnah saying you shouldn't marry her? So to Gemara, Mishnah, the Ravasi, Ravasi explained on Ravasi, Hazer, Mimcha, remove from yourself what bad rumors. So that's the Din, he shouldn't marry her, because then it confirms the rumors people were saying that he was sleeping with a guy before she converted. Now she's a totally Matajaka woman, she's not, she's not a guy, but if he's going to marry her now, it's going to confirm the rumors. That's why Lachatchila shouldn't marry her. Says the Gemara Tanur in the times of Mashiach, when the Jews are going to have such a high stature in the world, we don't accept Gerim because we assume that they're going to be out of ulterior motives. They didn't accept. Someone who wants to convert, he should convert without me. What does that mean? Without the way we are. Converts with you to be in the, in the hard time to, in, in Olam Abba. So only if you're willing to convert in the hard times, you go, in the good times, we're not going to accept. So I don't understand. Didn't we just say it's machlokas? So one of the things we say is that it means we don't, we don't encourage it. That's the point. In other words, we, we, we'll, we'll push them away stronger. And this is the subject of today, you know. Someone who's coming with an ulterior motive, even though we paskin, we paskin that the gears is still chal, but uh, it's not encouraged. That's what, the, that's what we see from this price. That's what you're showing them learn. And that's where we get very, very tricky, tricky things. Why being uh, on a base in a gear is not posture. Hard, hard calls. Now, an interesting Shiloh is that how does it fit with the Kabbalah's mitzvahs? Right? That thing is ma'akiv. There's one thing we know. 
have a big trash island with reform conversion and so on and so forth and Mamzer is always one of the hardest questions in, in you know 20th century America was that well, you need Kabbalah HaMitzvahs if you don't have Kabbalah HaMitzvahs then it's not a Geras Bechal it's Ma'akev that's a Gemara later on Mamzer that's not a Shaila so it's an interesting thing we're, we're, we want to know, you know, if you, if you have if you have an ulterior motive, is the gerus chal? We're learning with the evidence; it, it is chal. Maybe we try to, we don't encourage it, but it's it's chal. But it seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, that it would seem like there's a din I could be makabel mitzvahs even when I have an ulterior motive. A, 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 an ulterior motive doesn't necessarily undermine my kabbalas and mitzvahs, which is a very interesting thing. People are complex. I guess that's what it means, huh? All right, zok demigemara nitan ish. What do we have? That there was a rumor circulating, circulating about a woman that, who was married that she was mizana with somebody. So we said now that even if she marries somebody else, what's the halacha? We have to be motier from him. Why? Because that's halacha. If a married woman sleeps with somebody, she's ushered him. When the Mishnah is saying this halacha, that the bull has to divorce her, it only means if there are witnesses that testify to the adultery. Meaning it wasn't stam a rumor. It's not stam a rumor, a suspicion around town. There were witnesses that were saying she was mizana with the with this man while she was married. And that's the shot. Why now? If he's married to her, Basin will go ahead and force the, 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 the Boel to, to divorce her. But if there weren't witnesses, it was just a rumor, we wouldn't do this. What's the Yisoyed in Rav's? What's the real lumdus in Asia's issue, right? The din is to be motzi a woman. So what do you mean? Suffolk the rights of or whatever, you know? The Yisoyed is that, that what we're seeing here is a very interesting thing. To be motzi a woman from her, from her husband is like being motzi mamon mechaz kasa. That's what the Rishonim always describe. You need a really strong raya. You need a raya brewer, right? I'm not of a raya. What does what, what raya mean? So the Rambam, raya brewer beidim. Gemara says even rov is not enough, so on and so forth. The most circumstantial evidence, raya brewer beidim. And there's such a yisoy that there's a chazaka that a woman is to her husband. And to be motzi from that chazaka, to break that chazaka, you need things. The whole Indian of saita is very, very, very big chiddush in the Torah. There's a specific thing. If there was kinoi and steer, she was warned, and then she was alone, there there's a new din in the Torah that the woman becomes awesome and she has to get divorced. But without that specific rigidity of the kiyom, of the ki of masota, there's no din stam because of her bad rumor that, that would be motzi a woman from her husband. And therefore, the Gemara is assuming. If even when it happened that he divorced her and now she married the guy where the rumor was circulating, we wouldn't be motzi her from that. That's not the din. That's not the way the Torah looks at it. It's only in a case where Rav's learning that what was the Mishra saying? That there were Edim. Ah, there were Edim. Therefore, there's a halacha that since there were Edim, we're going to be motzi from a second husband. Amar of says, I mean, the Rav, By the way, what's the obvious question? The Mishra said, Hanitan. Right? The Mishra said it was a rumor. So Rashi says it means there were rumors he divorced her and now there are Edim that confirm the rumors. So Rashi deflects the question. There are witnesses that confirm the rumor, but it started from a rumor. When Rav said this, he was sleeping. He would never have said such a thing unless he was dozing off. Tanya says in Bryson, originally she says, someone is, there's rumors about a, he was with a married woman. So the court required the husband to divorce her. Then she married him and divorced from somebody else. So what's the halacha? If the adulterer then married her, lo, Yoti, doesn't have to divorce her. Why? Because since she was married in the middle, in this case, a little bit different than the Mishnah, she married somebody else in the interim. Okay? So there was a rumor that she was Mizana with call him Ruvain. So her husband divorced her. And then she didn't go ahead and marry Ruvain. Not like the case of Ramesha. She married Shimon. Then Shimon divorced her. And now Ruvain takes her. 
So the Brizer says that once Ruvain took her, he doesn't have to divorce her because the second marriage stops the spread of the rumor. The rumor is not as strong once she married somebody else. If she was really in such a loving relationship with Ruvain, right, she would have gone right away and married Ruvain. The fact that she married Shimon in the middle stops the rumor a little bit, and therefore we're not motzir. So Echidami, what's the case? If there are witnesses that the adultery happened, that Ruvain was Mizana with her, what difference does it make that she married someone else in the middle and stopped the rumors? If you have Edom that he's a bull, then there's Edom that it's an Isra Daraisa. Obviously, we're not talking about there are witnesses. Oh, of the lake agent, there aren't witnesses. And what's the price of saying? Because she married someone else in the middle, that's why when she goes, then subsequently marries the bull, when not Motsir. But time is also Akhar after the call. It's only because the implication is she married someone else in the middle. We would require the adulterer to divorce her, even though we're clearly we're not talking about witnesses here. But we see that if the adulterer would marry her right away after her husband divorced her, we would require a divorce. We have a right that even without witnesses, if the adulterer would go right away and marry her after her husband divorced her, we would require Divorce. The Gemara says, "Amal Charava would answer you." Charava would answer as follows: Who had the Nafuk after the loss of Acher after the call? Really, Halacha is the same. Even if somebody else does not come and stop the rumor, it would be the same Halacha. Since there's no witnesses, the same thing would be true if Ruvain married her right after her husband divorced her. We wouldn't be motzi. Only if there are witnesses do we take away. Without witnesses, we don't take away. So, I, why does the bride so talk about a case where she married somebody else in the middle? If the halacha would be, we wouldn't be motzi from Ruvain since there aren't witnesses, even if she didn't marry somebody else in the middle, then why does the bride so discuss it? The Territ says, Even though somebody else married her in the middle and the rumors have died down, the price is still telling you that Ruven should not get married. So that's why the price was saying that. The price was saying, even though the rumors have died down, she married somebody else after her husband divorced her. Still, we say that subsequently, if that other husband divorced her, the original suspect of the rumor should not marry her. But, but the evidence of how do we want to be motzi? The only time we are motzi, according to Rav, is when there are Edim. And it doesn't make a difference if there are no Edim, in every case, we're not going to be motzi. But in every case, you shouldn't marry her. And if there would be Adam? Yeah. In the price we're coming out, there's no Adam. No, but if there were? If, if, if there are Adam testifying that Ruvain was Mizana with this woman while she was married with her original husband. Wouldn't she be Mechaev Misa? Like, I don't understand. We wouldn't actually put her to death. And there could be many cases where we wouldn't. Let's say just for one example, there was no Asra. Just to give one right. example. Uh, there are many examples we wouldn't, but there would still be an Isra Boa. And Argamar is addressing that in that case, Rav holds the whole thing of our mission of Yossi from the Boel is only when there are witnesses. Without the witnesses saying that there was adultery, then it wouldn't be true. That's right. Pasha, you will learn the Mishnah. Since there are rumors that she was an Asia's Ish, that's oh, real Hamadika Isser, and, 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 and that she, therefore, even if she married the bull in the future, we're Motzi. I'm saying no. We're not Motzi from the bull unless there's aid, and we know for sure she's an adulteress. Otherwise, we're not, we're not being Motzi from her husband. That's Rav's you said. Right, the Gemara Vaita, we have a Kashan Rav. It says from Vaita, when is it true that the suspected adulterer divorces the woman? She doesn't have children from the first marriage. If there's no children from her first marriage, then if she goes and marries the suspected adulterer, we're Motier. If she already has children from her first marriage, we don't divorce her from the second husband of the adulterer. Why? Because if we're going to force a divorce, you know what everybody's going to say? The basin confirmed that the, the, the suspicion was true. What are the kids? The kids might be Mamzer. Right? We don't know how long this relationship was going on because it might be Mazer. Um, they're going to be illegitimate. And if there are witnesses that speak about the Toma, then they'd say for sure we know there's no Tzapim. Then even we don't care how many children there are. We don't care if we're making kids Mamzerim. That's the din. If there are Adim that say that, that, that she was Mazana, then we're Tzapim at all costs. So, Bekitzer, what do we see? We see 
that we are motzi even without Edim. We see that with there are no children, what do we see from the price? So if there are no children from a first marriage, and what's the halacha? Even from just rumors, we are motzier from the boel. The only din that you need Edim is only in a case where there are children and we're concerned that if we're motzier, then it's going to be confirmed that they're mamzerim. People are going to start saying they're mamzerim even though we don't know that they are. Then we're not motzi. So Bikitzer, how could Rav say that we're never Motsi unless there's Edim? Clearly we say here that we are Motsi for a rumor. So the Mar says, Rav knows that price. So that's Gufa what Rav is saying. Rav Muki loved my sister Mishnah upon Edim. Rav says, our Mishnah said, Hanit Alisha says, you're Motsi her. Rav said the Mishnah was talking about that she has children from her first marriage. Therefore, the only case you'd be Motsi her is when there are witnesses. If there wouldn't be witnesses, then you wouldn't be Motsi her. Why? Because since there are children, if you'd be Motsi her, it's going, people are going to say they're Mamzerim. We don't know that they are actually confirmed Mamzerim. So, frankly, Gemara, the obvious question, everyone's on the same page, it comes out. If there are kids, you're moti with Edom. Only with Edom. If there aren't kids, you're moti even without Edom. So then what told Rav that the mission was talking about that there were kids and therefore you're being moti with Edom? What was forced Rav to say we're talking about where there are kids in the first marriage and that therefore there are witnesses to the adultery? And it's only because of the witnesses. Let's discuss, let's say that the Mishnah is talking about without kids. And then he has to divorce even though there's no Edom. So where did Rav see evidence? Why was Rav compelled to say the Mishnah was talking about that there were kids from the first marriage that therefore we would only be Moti with Edom? So Rav was bothered by the language. The language was that they required the husband to divorce her. Listen, why didn't the Mishnah say the husband divorced her? In other words, maybe there was bad rumors about his wife, so he divorced him on her own. Why did the Mishnah speak about the case that they forced the original husband to divorce? The Territ says, Kosh is based. The only basin would do such a thing. Basin would only force his wife to divorce based upon witnesses. So what does it sound like from the Gemara Rabbi said? Very important. Basin, this is what it sounds like. Basin would only force the original husband to divorce if there were real witnesses. Why? What's the shot? Must be. The mission is talking about that there were kids. That's the part. Why would the mission, why is it mashma that, 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 there were, that there were kids here in the, in the, in the, in the, from the first marriage and that there were, therefore there are witnesses? Because the mission said, that Basin required the husband to divorce her. It, was mashma. it wasn't coming from his own, it was only because Basin forced. What's the case that Basin would have been forced? And, and it must be through Adim. The case is, must be there were, there were children, and that's why Basin required Adim. That's when Rav is making this point that that's why we're most here if she goes to the bowl as well. But if there were not, if there were not uh, children, then, then, then what would be the halacha? Then the husband could divorce. The husband could divorce on his own if she would marry the bull and the We would force her to get away from the bull as well. So where we are right now is that everybody's on the same page. It's just a question of figuring out what the case is. If there's no children from the first marriage, then even if there was just a rumor that she was Mazana, if she moved on to marry that guy, would be Motier. If there are children, then it's only through the power of Basin that we would take away from the bull. Says the Gemara, okay? Now, now we're going to change. We're going to go back. Because what was it? originally we thought Rav was saying only through Adam ever, even without kids. No, even if there are no kids, only with Adam are we motier. We had a kasha from the price that said only if there are kids, you need Adam. So now the Gemara is going to answer different. Really, Rav is, what Rav said is true. Even without children, you're only moti with Adam. I, the price, the price was only going like Rebbe, and Rav argues on Rebbe. 
Tanya, what is this Rabbi business? It says in a bride, you have all the circumstantial evidence to, that there was that there, she was Mizana, but you don't actually have Adam. Let's say the perfume peddler, the guy, he's always the bad guy, the perfume peddler. He's the guy who's probably being Mizana, you know? It's an interesting thing. So the perfume peddler is leaving, and the woman is tying on uh, the undergarment here. So it's as circumstantial evidence as could be, but very suggestive that she was Mizana. She has to be divorced. Rabbi says she has to be divorced. Rokla Malam and Akila is alive above from the bed. Amarevi on Machua Davertetsa, right? It's disgusting. She has to be divorced. Manalam Afugan Dachazamita. Let's say you got the, you know, overturned shoes under the bed. Amarevi Machua Davertetsa. We'll talk in a second what the shoes are. So, Akopanim, what do we see? We see Rabbi is Machai, a husband divorced his wife, even for just a rumor. So, according to Rabbi in Achanami, Rav would never have said that price was going like Rabbi. That, that, that the only case you need witnesses if there are children, but without children to worry about, then you'd be mostly a woman just with a rumor. Vashenkin Rav, Rav holds, not like Rebbe, Rav holds, no, we're not mostly a woman from her husband unless there are confirmed Adim. And that's why it's Taka Machlokas. So according to the second approach, we're really ending up with a huge Machlokas in front of us. That Rav holds, even without presence of children, even without that variable, you're only mostly a woman when there are Adim. And Rebbe holds, even when it just doesn't look good, you're mostly a woman. I just want to point out an important thing. Pashas Rashi learns, and there's a thing, that the Machlokas is about our original husband. In other words, Stam, it's, if it's circumstantial evidence, if a woman was Mazana, Rebbe holds your Motzi, the Rabbana holds your not Motzi. That's the Pashup shot. Rashi's Mashmah like that way. A lot of Rishonim learn not that way. A lot of Rishonim learn Avada, you're not Motzi, a woman from original husband because of circumstantial evidence. Avada not. Rebbe did not mean that. Avada not. You don't mean that. Everybody holds to be Motzi, a woman from our original husband. You need Chabraya, Brewer, Beidim. Same way, you know, Motzi, Chabraya, Chabraya, circumstantial evidence is not good. Motzi, a woman from her husband, you wouldn't do that. Rebbe is talking about if the husband divorced her because of this, right? Understandably, there's circumstantial evidence. Everybody's saying bad things about his wife, whatever. So he divorced her. If she then married the peddler, there it states it. That's the Machlokas, Robin Rebbe. Machlokas isn't on her original husband. The Machlokas, Rav and Rebbe is, whether it's Tetzi from the Bayel when there was circumstantial evidence. But everybody agrees from the original husband, there's no chiv for the husband's divorce unless there was Rai Buru That's a very interesting Machlokas. Rashi's Mashra, not Nishtas, I think. The Machlokas is about the original husband. Let me just finish up one last point over here. We spoke about the overturned shoes. What in the world does that mean? Why don't we see whose shoes they are? Right? See if they're the peddler's shoes. Oh, he left his shoes under the bed. If there is shoes, yeah. What is this overturned shoes business? The place where the shoes were been is overturned. Talks to me to under the bed. So it looked, or there was an imprint of the shoes was in the dirt. So it shows that there was a uh, there was an act of adultery here that was taking place. Overturned shoes are an act of adultery. He overturned them so that no one would notice them. Somehow, an interesting thing. So if you still see the imprint of an overturned shoe, then it suspects that there was a mindset of an adulterer present here in the bed. And uh, that's the way you teach it. So that's the point. Not that you're finding shoes, but you're finding an imprint in an overturned shoe that shows us somebody was there trying to overturn the shoes, which is what an elder would do. And that's why Rabbi says it doesn't look good.